This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Hey, it's Bartender Journey, podcast number 130, 130. My name's Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. You know what I want to talk a little bit about today, uh, among other things? Can you really taste the difference between mass-produced spirits and craft spirits? Uh, Well, I I tend to think that you can, uh, most especially when it comes to gin and rye whiskey. And uh, we're going to be talking with Nick Yoder from Journeyman Distillery in Michigan uh, in just a minute. I've not spoken to him yet. So uh, I'll be learning about the company uh, along with you uh, for the first time. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I I have some samples here and uh, I really feel like I can taste the, the care and the, and, the, and the love that went into making this and, you know, the, the sort of terroir, which is sort of, you know, uh, the, the sense of place of it. Of, of it. And uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. And a lot of the mass-produced spirits, um, they're more generic and you don't, you don't really taste that, in my opinion. I don't know. What do you guys think? Let me know. <laughs> and I don't know how much you know about this, but in fact, uh, there's a place called MGP Ingredients in Indiana, and they are a commercial distillery, and they make uh, stuff that they sell to certain brands that um, bottle it and sell it under their own name. And, uh, you know, not saying that it's bad product, but um, a lot of the brands um, that you may be drinking um, may have all come from the same place. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not so upfront. Uh, the, the brands themselves are not that upfront about the fact that they're buying this stuff and and sort of rebottling it. And, in fact, there's been several legal battles uh, recently. In fact, uh, there was a class action suit against Templeton Rye, which I actually happen to enjoy. I think it's a pretty good product for uh, for the price anyway. But uh, the court decision went against them, and um, they were forced to uh, to pay out some money, although it's uh, tied up in, in appeals and all. But uh, there was this class action lawsuit that uh, on behalf of all individuals in the United States who've purchased a bottle of Templeton Rye. And I can tell you, I am one of those people in the United States who has bought a bottle of Templeton Rye. Uh, and uh, apparently now I can file to get $3 for every bottle, or $5 if I have a receipt. But uh, I, don't, I don't really feel the need to do that because I, I, I thought it was good quality uh, whiskey for the price. On the other hand, I can see the other side of the argument. I mean, it says on the bottle, Templeton Prohibition Era Rye Whiskey, small batch. You know, if nothing else, small batch is definitely not true. So, uh, yeah, there's two sides to every story, right? But uh, you have to make up your own mind. Anyway, coming full circle, uh, back to the original uh, concept of this show. Can you really taste the difference between craft distilleries and mass-produced? Like I said, I I tend to think that you can a lot of the times. But before we get to that, we're going to have a little more throwback to Tales of the Cocktail 2015. I've got some audio I recorded during the show with Marco Montefiore, and he's the U.S. market manager for Amaro Montenegro, which is a great Amaro. Uh, It's good, good stuff. So uh, we'll be talking to him briefly. Briefly, and uh, that during an event that they threw uh, in a suite in in the Hotel Monteleone, and uh, that was that was a good time. Also, I just happen to be going through uh, my notebook, my scribble down notes, stuff that I uh, wrote down during the seminars at Tales of the Cocktail, and there's such great stuff in here. And uh, if we want to talk about bartending, uh, Jacob Breyers and Simon Ford uh, did a segment during uh, a seminar called Said Talks. So it was, uh, you know, short 15 minute talks. But uh, these two guys, uh, they're smart dudes, and uh, they, they made some great points uh, like your cocktail menu. Your menu is your business plan. It's the little bit of extra thinking that you are doing for your guests. 
Uh, they talked about doing things that don't cost you any extra money, but uh, can really make a big difference. Like, what if you have a regular and you're friends with them on Facebook and you see they're coming to your bar for their birthday that night? And what if you write up on the whiteboard, happy birthday, Jen? You know, just small attention to details. It doesn't have to be expensive. Uh, they talked about a bar that does uh, stamped or branded ice. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just anything that makes you want to go go to that bar in particular. Uh, the Artisan Bar, which is, uh, you know, a fancy bar in uh, London with uh, probably a bigger budget than uh, most of us have uh, in our bars. But uh, they offer a glass of champagne uh, along with the cocktail menu. And, uh, you know, really, if you think about it, if you pour two, ounce, two ounces of champagne into a small champagne flute and offer that, that's not going to cost you that much money, especially if it's, uh, you know, assuming it's not um, Dom Perignon. But alternatively, along with the cocktail menu, uh, give your guests a glass of water. And that's a very common thing in the uh, high-end cocktail bars. But uh, not every bar does it. And uh, it's it's just really a welcoming thing. It helps the guest feel welcome, uh, helps them kind of establish their space there at the bar. And uh, I think it's a great practice. And it helps your guests stay hydrated and, uh, and uh, keep their wits about them, you know. <laughs> They talked about the hospitality gene, making people feel welcome from the moment they walk in to the moment they leave. Uh, they talked about a uh, several bars in Japan where they actually walk you out as you leave, and that's a, that's a great thing to do. I, I actually try to do that not formally, but uh, when I have time and and uh, when when it when it feels right, I, I will get out from behind the bar and uh, wish the guests good night, and even open the front door for them if I can. And uh, I, I think it's a it's a it's a great thing that uh, makes people remember you, and uh, you know. Know, it's 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 great hospitality. And to wrap up their talk, Jacob Breyer says, "A great bar is great guests being served great drinks by great bartenders. Words to live by." Oh, back to the craft distillery um, theme. A uh, guy named Chip Tate. He's a distiller down in Texas. Uh, he talked about an imaginary uh, guest who comes to your bar and says, "I love craft. What is it?" And uh, yeah, they, you know, a lot of a lot of your uh, guests may not have a, a firm grasp grasp on uh, what that is exactly, but you know, he talked about how it uh, really got started with um, the beer movement and uh, healthy uh, healthy eating and and eat local movement. He talked about his barrels. He says I check them when they come in, and I've learned things from my barrels. He says if you if you're going to make something craft, you need to be involved in it, hands on talks about how craft distilleries uh, it's business and you need to compete but also uh, there's a great community there and collaboration and I, I've seen that from uh, all, the, all, the, all the small distillers and, and craft distilleries that I've met uh, with. Uh, that's definitely a theme that I've seen. Speaking of which in a future episode we're going to be talking with Heather Dolan and she wrote a book called Discovering the New York Craft Spirits Boom and we're going to talk more about this subject. During Tales of the Cocktail 2015, I also went to a seminar about flair, and uh, I think I talked about this on the show a little bit before, but um, it was run by uh, Anthony Pullen, uh, Dario Domino, and Kate Gerwin, and uh, Anthony uh, Pullen was a guest on the show uh, not that long ago. We were talking about um, Geneva. Anyway, uh, about flair, you know, I'm not, uh, personally, I'm not looking to, uh, you know, enter flair competitions, but I would like to incorporate a little bit of flair into my, uh, my, my bartending, and and, uh, and here's great reasons for it. Uh, they said uh, during the seminar, drink plus entertainment equals happy guest. People go to bars for social interaction. 
the bartender is responsible for the vibe. Everyone should leave happier. What can you do to create a conversation? What can you do to get people engaged? Just simple things like a napkin spin. You can look this stuff up on YouTube. Uh, catch Catching uh, ice in your tin, you know, throwing ice up in, into the air and catching it in your tin, that's fun. Your spoon, your mixing spoon, you can uh, do some tricks with that. You, there's a uh, trick they taught us with a, with a straw. It rolls down your hand, pick a point in the air, and catch it underhand. You know, I'm sure you can find examples of this stuff on YouTube, but, uh, you know, it's just fun, simple little stuff. Can it can make it more interesting and fun for the guests all right moving on there's a lot going on in the show today uh we have to do our book of the week and it's the negroni by gary gaz regan and i may have mentioned this book on the show before but uh actually i finally acquired my own copy so now uh it's official it's the book of the week and uh i love it gaz is an awesome guy and uh this is a beautiful book it talks all about the history of the negroni and uh some variations on it but uh i i love this book it's it's really fun and uh yeah, think about getting that. If you go to uh, bartenderjourney.net, you'll see some Amazon links there, and uh, also I'll put a link up to this book. By clicking on any of the links on bartenderjourney.net that click you through to Amazon, you'll be helping out the show a little bit. Uh, Amazon kicks back a little bit to uh, help support the show, and it doesn't cost you any extra. So, uh, And whether you buy the book or the product that I suggested or something else, you'll be helping out the show a little bit. I'd appreciate it. Well, let's do a cocktail of the week, and uh, I think it better be a Negroni, uh, since uh, we're talking about Negronis and Gaz's book. So uh, here's my here's my uh, slight variation on a Negroni. I got this idea actually at Tales of the Co- at no at Manhattan Cocktail Classic several years ago, and uh, here's the idea: take some. Uh, some salt, like sea salt, granular salt, or uh, kosher salt if you have to. Sea salt's much better. And uh, take some fresh rosemary sprigs, put that in a pan, and just kind of toast it up and uh, until it kind of releases its fragrant aromas and uh and it's uh you know don't don't cook it on high you know cook it on very low and uh no oil or anything just some, take that uh salt and the, and the rosemary and let it uh toast up a little bit then you want to remove that rosemary and uh let the salt cool of course and then uh we're gonna take our uh, old-fashioned glass and uh i like mine uh i like my negroni with uh with grapefruit uh with a grapefruit twist so uh let's take a little grapefruit and uh, moisten the lip of the glass, and then uh, dip it into that salt. So we have a uh, salt rim glass with the rosemary salt. Since we have a glass with a salted rim, uh, we better mix that Negroni in a separate glass. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna do one and a quarter ounce of gin. I'll use this uh, Journeyman gin because it's good. And uh, I'm gonna use one ounce sweet vermouth and one ounce Campari. We'll, we'll mix that up in our mixing glass or our mixing tin and uh, strain that over a large ice cube in our uh, prepared glass with the salted rim and uh, garnish that with a nice uh, twist of grapefruit. Make sure you express the oils, of course. Twist it uh, so you express the oils from the grapefruit into the glass. Sorry, I had that cold last week, and uh, I thought I was over it, but uh, the more I talk here, the more I seem to be losing my voice, so please excuse me. Anyway, this is going to be a yummy drink, so uh, cheers. (laughs) All right, next. And as promised, I talked to Marco Montefiore from Amaro Montenegro. And uh, here's another guy with a very cool accent. I meet the most interesting people doing this show. We're going to talk about Montenegro. That's why I came. <laughs> I want to hear all about it. So tell me. OK, 
Okay, what I can tell you, I don't have a lot of story to share with you. So the only thing I can tell you is that Amaro Montenegro is the number one Amaro in Italy. It's really important to underline this because Italy is the motherland of Amari. Actually, if you translate the word Amaro in English, it's bitter. Why it's so important to underline this? Because uh, now Americans are discovering the bitter tasting profile. Just imagine what is going on with the IPA beer, with a bitter beer. So it's something that's a really huge opportunity. Because before, bitter was something a little bit unknown in the US, was something really European. And now it's fantastic because there is a lot of interest and a lot of traction for the bitter category. Consider also that Montenegro, it is bitter, but sweet at the same time. So in terms of tasting profile, at the beginning when you drink it, it is really extremely sweet, then cut immediately into bitterness and leave a lot of botanical in your mouth. So it has a really complex tasting profile. The reason why, it is because we use 40 secrets ingredients to make Amaro Montenegro. It's so funny. I tell people all the time, you know, I drink Negronis like crazy. And I tell people, you know, they, they look at it and they say, oh, that looks delicious. Can I take a try? I say, you're not going to like it. The first taste, you're not going to like it. But once you get hooked, you can't go back. You know, it's something about that bitterness, you know. Yeah, it's really, it's really addictive. You touch a good, uh, really good point because uh, more you grow up, more you develop your tasting profile more you like bitter. For example, I remember when I was a kid, a kid, I mean, above 21 years old, I was drinking stuff like strawberry margarita, all this kind of thing. More you educate your palate, more you like bitter. Right. Yeah. And it's funny, and I tell people too, with the, with the bitter, it's like, do you remember your first sip of beer? You didn't like it, right? Now you love it. What, what kind of cocktails would you use? Your product. Is. This is a pretty interesting question because uh, in Italy we drink Montenegro and all the Amari in general as uh, digestive. So we drink Montene uh, Montenegro neat and on the rocks. In US there is a big phenomenon of mixologists using it as dominant modifier for cocktail. At the beginning, uh, this happened something like 2006-2007. At the beginning we were suspicious about it because for us it was something different. After a little bit, we understood immediately that this is a great opportunity and to make cocktails with Amari, it is the present and the future. It is something that really makes sense. Usually, I like to drink Montenegro with uh, ginger beer, so I like to do my own version of Montenegro Mule. That is a ginger beer, two ounces of Montenegro, and a dash of lime juice. That sounds great. It, it sounds uh, so interesting, and I wonder why it's so hard for Americans to kind of jump on board with the, with the bitter, you know? But they, they really need to, like you say, educate their palate. I consider that uh, Americans are really, really educated in terms of food. This happened in the last 10 years. For example, I am Italian, so I take food really seriously. Yeah. I live in New York, and the last thing I miss about Italy it is food. Because in New York, we really find the top of the top of uh, everything. The top Asian, the top Italian, the top French. So really, American now, in terms of food, they, re they really know what they are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, how is it made, exactly? Oh, it's uh, really interesting. Uh, you're not going to tell me exactly. No, but, no, I mean, I <laughs> in I general. I can share with you something. It's a really interesting process. We can make a parallel between the Italian food culture and how we make Montenegro. So, making Montenegro, it's really easy. But what really makes the difference? The precious ingredient. 
Technically, we prepare molasses, we distill the molasses, we infuse 40 different herbs, we add water, we add caramel, we filter everything and we bottle. It's really easy. But what really makes the difference are the secret ingredients. So 40 spices coming from all around the world, still the same after 150 years. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Do you think we can take a quick taste? Thank you. Thanks a lot for this. Oh, thank you. Well, we did that interview sort of in the hallway, but uh, then we moved into the suite where they were doing this performance art and serving these lovely cocktails. And uh, the the cocktails, uh, I have all the recipes, and I'm going to post those up for you on bartenderjourney.net, along with uh, the show notes for this episode, which is episode 130. So if you have any trouble finding uh, the show notes that go along with this episode, go up to the Google, Google search bar on uh, the upper right-hand side on bartenderjourney.net. Just type in... 130 and you'll find them and you'll find some great cocktail recipes from Amaro Montenegro so this is uh, technically what we are doing we are presenting uh, three different kind of cocktails that is the Montenegroni the Monti Mule and the Manhattan Montenegro and uh, every cocktail is going to be paired with uh, some performer that you're going to see now a lot of people are intimidated by Amari because they expect yeah. something really strong, but yeah. Montenegro is something really easy to drink. So it's really What's versatile. What's the ABV? 23. 23, yeah. yeah 23. Nice. Cheers, thank you. First sip, you say, oh my god, it's too sweet. Then yeah. cut immediately into bitterness and leave a right. lot of botanical in your mouth. Lovely. Yeah. Mm. It tastes oranges. Yeah, you can you can clearly feel orange peel, yeah. cinnamon, that is the most common ingredient, the most uh, recognizable ingredient. All the rest is absolutely a secret. Mm. Just one person know how to do Montenegro from A to Z. It'd be great in place of uh, triple sack, for instance, in a, yeah. in a margarita or something. Yeah. This would be interesting. Yeah, it's a really good point. For example, think that uh, you cannot drink triple sack by itself, no. but you can drink Montenegro by itself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's a really, really versatile product. Thank you so much. I apologize. I have to meet someone else uh, very shortly. But it's a really big well, that was fun, and uh, I wish I had a chance to hang around that event a little longer, but as I said, I had to run off and uh, meet somebody else. I can't remember who at this point, <laughs> but uh, it was a, an action-packed week there at uh, Tales of the Cocktail. It was a lot of fun. So, uh, like I said, uh, the cocktails they were serving there at the event, at the uh, Amaro Montenegro event, I have uh, the recipes they've provided to me, and I will put those up on bartenderjourney.net in the uh, posting that goes along with this show, show number 130. So next we're going to talk a little bit more about craft spirits with Nick Yoder from Journeyman Distillery. And uh, once again, Skype uh, kind of let me down. Not great audio quality, so uh, I'll be cutting in and out, uh, and we'll have, a, we'll have a snippet of the conversation. But uh, anyways, it was, it was a good discussion, and uh, here it is. And uh, don't forget to stay tuned to the very end of the podcast for our toast. All right, here's my talk with Nick. Well, I wanted to talk today about... Can you really taste the difference between mass-produced spirits and craft spirits? And, uh, you know, I lean towards, yes, you can. <laughs> and uh, so you guys are a pretty uh, small to medium-sized operation, right? Hello? Yeah, we, uh, we like to joke that uh, the big guys spill more in a week than we uh, produce an entire year. <laughs> That's funny. But it, I, to me, it really comes through. I mean, for some reason, most especially with 
gin and rye whiskey. I'm not sure why that is, but, uh, you know, I guess with the gin, you really taste those botanicals. And with the rye, you really taste the grain, you know, with, with, uh, to me, that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I'd, uh, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, with the gin, you know, we're using unique botanicals, especially our, uh, our bilberry. I mean, before I started here, I had never heard of, uh, the bilberry at all. Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that is myself. Is that, some, is that <laughs> so something? The, uh, that, the bilberry mm-hmm. is a uh, cousin to the uh, huckleberry, the blueberry. It's found in uh, northern Europe, and uh, it gives it a really nice kind of a sweeter, more fruit-forward taste to our gin. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff, and uh, I got a little bit right here. I'm going to take a sample. How many, how many botanicals are you using? Quite, quite a few or what? So we're using nine different botanicals, um, everything from you know juniper, of course, the bilberries. Uh, we've got things in there like bitter orange peel. Uh, lemon peel, some really obscure stuff like uh, orris root. Yeah, I was going to say I taste something a little bitter or spicy. That must be the uh, the bitter orange peel. That's great. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a really it's a really clean tasting spirit too, and I, I appreciate that. It's great. Yeah, we uh, definitely tried to uh, dial back the, uh, the pine a little bit, and uh, we wanted to go a little bit more of the uh, other botanicals and to feature those a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I always say it's so interesting to see, you know, we're talking about the big guys versus the little guys, but you really, you see the big guys now putting out stuff to compete with the little guys. They're, you know, they're realizing they can't just put out the same old stuff anymore. You know, they've got to come out with, you know, small small batch, you know, single barrel and things to keep people interested in what what they're doing. But, they're, but what they're doing is basically competing against guys like you in a way. Yeah, you've, uh, you've really seen that. Um, you know, for the longest time, they didn't have to change. Uh, they could really kind of keep doing what they were doing. And then with this just explosion of kind of craft distilleries coming on board, um, you know, we haven't been beholden to that tradition. So we can go ahead and, uh, you know, kind of mess with things and try things out and uh, take a little bit of a risk and see what happens and uh, see if we can produce something that's uh, brand new. And uh, are you seeing uh, tourism be a, being a big part of your uh, business plan as well now? I see yeah. you're, you're getting ready to open a restaurant, right? Yeah, um, tourism is actually huge for us. Um, so we're right down in the southwest corner of Michigan, and uh, we're about an hour and a half outside of Chicago. Uh, so that makes it really nice. The crowd comes in from Chicago, comes, tests out the, uh, the distillery. Um, we actually opened the restaurant just this past Wednesday. Nice. Um, so that's good and going right now. And then uh, people all return back to Chicago, tell all their friends about us. And so it's kind of like a uh, little cycle that keeps rolling on back and forth. And it's nice. People want to know the story behind it and meet the people that are actually making it. And uh, I, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely have quite the story, too. I mean, our distillery, it's located in a uh, 1800s corset factory and uh, that was ironically owned by a, uh, a staunch prohibitionist. Funny. Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I love going out to meet the distillers and take a tour of the place and then, and then tasting their stuff. It, I think it's kind of cool that we did it the opposite way here, where I got to taste their stuff first. And I and it really, like I said, I, you know, I really felt the craft coming through, you know, before I even knew anything about you guys. So I think that's, uh, here's to you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. The, uh, the whiskey, I, I found it interesting that you have a, a whiskey, and that's, it's not a bourbon whiskey. It's not a rye whiskey. It's uh, just called whiskey. So you want to tell us more about that one? <laughs> so, yeah, we've got our, uh, our Silver Cross. Uh, we just call it whiskey because it really does not fall into any other category. Um, we're not using a majority grain in that one. So we're using equal parts of uh, barley, corn, rye, and wheat. Nice. Um, so, yeah, 
a lot of people like to call it kind of like a maverick whiskey because it's not really playing by any of the rules. Interesting. So 25% uh, across the board there, huh? Yep. Yeah, we like to say that it's a, a whiskey that's got a little bit for something or a little bit of something that people have all different kinds of uh, whiskey that they enjoy. Mm. It's interesting. It really it it has a, a fair no- amount of um, sweetness, you know, considering it's only twenty five percent corn. It's delicious. Everything you put out is organic, right? Yeah, pretty much uh, everything we do is organic. Um, all of our spirits, with the exception of our OCG, which is our apple cider liqueur. Mm. But uh, yeah, everything else is uh, organic certified and kosher certified. And I'm not entirely sure why our OCG uh, isn't yet, just because we do use organic apple juice and organic. Uh, apple cider and that as well mm-hmm. and uh where are you sourcing the ingredients from there nearby yeah so like our uh, our apple juice our apple cider we get that from uh just a couple hours north up by uh, grand rapids uh all of our grain pretty much comes from uh michigan illinois wisconsin cool and are there any uh in new york there's a new thing where uh craft distillers uh, it's called a farm distillery license where if you yeah, use, yep. do you have any anything similar to that uh we do not but uh, yeah, I've actually uh, seen that, and uh, I think that's a really pretty awesome thing that New York's been doing. It's really awesome. It's great, and uh, they're making it easier now for uh, to have tasting rooms, and uh, you can sell cocktails now, which is brand new. That's less than a year old that that law, so it's it's great. You can sell sell cocktails in in your tasting room. It's really awesome. Yeah, Michigan's always been a little bit progressive on that, which is really nice. Um, that's actually why we ended up in Michigan, really, um, kind of at the time when our owner was. Uh, looking for a spot to start he's actually from indiana and so the initial goal was to kind of start it in indiana uh but at the time you couldn't sell anything that you were producing on site and we really wanted to have that tasting room so right. uh michigan stole one there all right nice and then uh so next the the rye whiskey is delicious yeah the uh the rye is our uh it's our flagship whiskey uh very first one we made and uh, actually that very first batch that we did was made at a uh, coval distillery in chicago so uh, so when we opened uh, back in 2011, we wanted to have our own aged whiskey. We didn't want to go out and source it from somebody else and put it in a bottle. Yeah. Uh, so the, the year prior, we actually worked with Koval, uh, went over there, used their equipment, and uh, made that first batch of the rye, put in a couple of barrels, stuck it in the back of the uh, owner's pickup truck, drove it down the highway, and uh, <laughs> let, it, uh, let it age in the distillery as it was getting built out. <laughs> well, that that ride in the pickup truck uh, didn't hurt the whiskey, I'm sure. No, it uh, probably gave it a nice little movement and uh, helped it work in and out of the uh, the barrel a little bit more. Exactly. I heard about I can't remember where I heard about this a rum a, a whiskey that was put on ships and you know just took the trip to help it age quicker uh, through through the Caribbean or something. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I I do remember seeing something about that. It's <laughs> pretty uh, funny. Well, they're sending whiskey out in space now too to see what that does to it. Right. <laughs> that's crazy. But uh but that's how it all started, really. I mean, they, you know, they would put the the liquor in the in the in the barrels, in the wooden barrels and send them down the river and uh they weren't trying to age them particularly or add color or flavor to them, but they realized when it got to the end of the Mississippi River, it tasted better than <laughs> <laughs> It was a happy accident. That's it. That's it. I'm curious about the organic thing because you know, not too many spirits uh, will say that, and uh, I'm wondering: is that more? Is that a? Um, I also wonder after it goes through distilling, you know, does it really make a difference uh, as far as what we're what we're drinking? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, obviously if you're eating lettuce, you know, that's organic. That's uh, that's that's one thing, but uh, 
you know i mean it's great for the environment and all that but i'm just wondering how it how it's affect how it how you know in the final bottle how it how it's uh implemented or how it's uh what the effect of it is you know yeah of course you know with the distillation you're going to you know strip away any of those pesticides that would be used uh but we look at it more as a uh kind of a, a stamp of uh high quality on the grains we we use right so there, you know only being a handful of ingredients that are going into a whiskey we don't want to skimp on one of them because um, that's going to have a drastic output on the final one and so we feel that organic really speaks to the quality of the grains that we're using nice. and uh, we think you can you know taste that in the final product yeah well it is delicious i must say this is a uh, rye whiskey batch number two nice <laughs> how long uh how long has this stuff been made uh so we were making uh that ever since 2011 um so yeah that's batch two of our our last feather rye uh we unfortunately had a uh, a little bit of a uh issue with a winery out in california um so our rye was originally called ravenswood rye after the uh the neighborhood where it was first distilled mm-hmm. uh, but there's a ravenswood winery out in uh, in california and they uh they didn't think that uh people were going to take too kindly to uh they might get a little bit confused by whiskey and wine so they said we need to uh change the name that's not the first time i've heard that story <laughs> no not at all but uh you know we thought about fighting it for maybe 10 seconds and then decide we we're just going to put that money towards making uh good quality spirits instead of you know having to pay lawyers yeah exactly well i like the name last feather rye that's cool <laughs> yeah we uh we kind of like to tell a story with all of our different names. And, uh-huh. uh, so in this case, they wanted to take everything from us and uh, they wanted to take that Raven. So all they left us with was uh, one last feather. <laughs> ah, that's a good story. The stories are always uh, such a big part of, of drinking, you know? Oh yeah. That's uh, otherwise it's just whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, I appreciate your time and uh, it was uh, great to meet you. Yeah, uh, great to uh, meet you as well. And if you're ever uh, in New York, please let me know. Yeah, I definitely will. I'd love to uh, stop by. Yeah, I haven't. uh, I I don't have any plans to get up anywhere near Chicago, but you never know. Could could happen. Yeah, if uh, if you ever do find yourself out here, uh, just let me know, and uh, I'll show you around everything. That'd be great, man. All right, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Good stuff there from the Journeyman Distillery. If you ever get a chance to try it, please do. It's good stuff. All right, don't forget to stay tuned for our toast at the very end of the podcast. But in the meantime, I'll tell you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber, and you can feel free to email me for whatever reason. It's brian at bartenderjourney.net. You can find me on Twitter at barkeeptips. Search uh, the old Facebook for Bartender Journey and like that page. Hey, and if you can get over to iTunes, make sure you subscribe to the Bartender Journey podcast and uh, leave us some ratings and reviews. That would be great if you can leave some stars, as many stars as you like, five being the most. And, uh, you know, leave a nice little uh, one-sentence review there. If uh, if you'd like the show, it helps other people find us. helps us, ra- you know, jump up in the ratings a little bit, and uh, it helps other people find us. So, uh, yeah, if you can get over to iTunes and uh, leave ratings and reviews, that would be great. All right, it's time for our toast. This one is credited to F. Scott Fitzgerald, and he said, Here's to alcohol, the rose-colored glasses of life. Cheers, we'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. Yeah.